Welcome to the Reminger Report podcast on emerging technologies. Reminger Co. LPA is a full-service law firm with over 150 lawyers spread across 14 offices and serving states throughout the Midwest. My name is Zach Pyers, and I'm a partner in Reminger's Columbus, Ohio office. And I'm Kenton Steele, an associate in Reminger's Columbus office. This podcast on emerging technologies will examine how changes in technology and business models affect our daily lives and how the law is adapting to respond to these changes. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of the Reminger Report podcast on emerging technologies. Today, we'll be continuing our discussion with myself and Zach Pyers on autonomous vehicles and and what those vehicles are, how they operate, and what we expect to see from this technology going forward in the future. Uh, Zach, following up on our previous discussion on this topic, one of the things you mentioned was that there are levels of autonomy for different vehicles. Can you tell us a little bit about what those levels are, what they mean, uh, and how we're sorting the different types of technologies that we're talking about when we discuss autonomous vehicles? Absolutely. And so I think what happens in this space oftentimes is, you know, when the average person thinks of autonomous vehicles, they think of a vehicle where they get in, there's no steering wheel, and the car just, you punch in an address and the car just magically drives you there. And that certainly is a level of autonomy that, you know, a lot of analysts and, and, and people in the market space hope that we get to. But what I think a lot of people don't realize is that we've got various levels, right? And so in 2016, the Society of Automotive Engineers, SAE, set forth these six levels of automation to classify automated driver systems. And so we have levels 0, 1, 2, 3, which are all considered to be driver support features. And then we have levels 3, which falls into both kind of categories, 4 and 5, which are kind of labeled as automated driving features. And so as you can – the name probably you know tells you – the first zero through three are really designed to say help the drivers and three through five are also designed to take over for the driver. And so level zero, as I'm sure that you can imagine, means that there's no automation capabilities. The driver has to steer, brake, accelerate, and negotiate the traffic. Now at level one, um, there's a lot of these vehicles on the roadways. What it means is the vehicle at level one has some driver assistance capability under some conditions. The car can either steer um, or, or control the speed, but not do both simultaneously. This would be an example of like adaptive cruise control. That would be a level one. Another feature might be parking assist, which is kind of a level one autonomy. Level two, the car can partially be automated by steering, accelerated, and braking in certain situations. So one of the things you might think about as level two um, would be, uh, you know, if you had a lane keep assist plus an adaptive cruise control. The car is then controlling the speed and steering under certain situations. With that said, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be able to control it in all situations. So the driver still finds themselves responsible for responding to traffic signals, 
changing lanes, scanning for hazards, but the vehicle can operate in some situations. Most of the level two vehicles, you still have to have your hands on the steering wheel. Um, so it's not like you can take your hands off the steering wheel and you still need to be paying attention and ready to resume control of the car at any given time. Level three system has what we call a conditional automation and can manage most aspects of driving, including monitoring the environment under the right conditions. And so in this situation, we really are starting to approach um, situations where the driver doesn't have to be constantly paying attention and doesn't constantly have to be ready to take over control of the vehicle. One of the examples of this that's been talked about is Audi's traffic jam pilot. So if you're in a traffic jam, the car can start and stop and go at short speeds. The driver is, does not have to be in the position where they have to be prepared to take immediate control of the vehicle. Now, when we get to level four and level five, now we're really talking about, you know, high levels of, auto of autonomy. Level four system has auto automation capabilities that can operate without human input or oversight, but only under select conditions defined by factors like road type or geography. So when we think about these type of situations, um, you, you think about like a, a, a shuttle type service, right, that operates on a very given limited geographic area or, um, or very road type, right? It's not a situation where the vehicle will be able to operate under any given circumstance at any given time. So this is, you know, this is a level where we, we, they think that there will be, you know, a high level or use in the industry because they can be implemented or implemented in, in kind of, you know, the ride sharing and mobility type spaces as a service. Level five is the driverless car can operate on any road in any condition that a human driver can navigate. So this is a situation where, you know, wherever you want to go, you type in a GPS pinpoint and the car will get you there. So this is the highest level um, that we're kind of talking about. And, you know, I think that's the dream and that's kind of what people envision when they talk about fully autonomous vehicles. So, Zach, as we discuss autonomous vehicles and particularly um, vehicles that would fall within the, the higher end of three or four or the fifth level of automation, we're obviously talking about a relatively complex and sophisticated piece of technology. Um, with that in mind, what is on the, the forecast or what does the future hold in terms of who is expected to own and, and operate this type of vehicle. Yeah, so I think the hope originally, just because of the way that we operate here in the United States, is a lot of people, I think, hope that they will have a fully autonomous vehicle in their driveway, right? So when people, when Ford, you know, back in 2016, 17 was, was testing the Ford Fusion and, and they had pictures of it and videos of it, you know, being tested autonomously, I think people hoped that that vehicle would be in their driveway. Now, I think the reality is, is that a lot of industry analysts predict that the first, uh, uh, 
first owners of these vehicles, once we start reaching levels three, four, and five, are more likely to be in fleet situations where the vehicles are owned and operated by some sort of ride-sharing or mobility service. The I've talked to you know industry insiders who represent uh, the manufacturers of these vehicles, coupled with you know people who are operate mobility services. And I think a lot of those people are predicting that they are going to be the owners uh, of those vehicles first before any consumer would actually get access to them. Now, Honda, and I think I talked about this in the last episode, has has introduced the Honda Legend in Japan, which is the first fully autonomous level three vehicle. And it's selling, and I uh, it, between ninety and uh, the equivalent of ninety and a hundred thousand dollars, right? And that's obviously in Japanese yen, and then we've got to convert it. But that is a steep sticker price for um, a Honda a Honda vehicle. Now, so what we see is that it's not that's not accessible to the general market. Now, with like any technology. As it becomes more prevalent and more widespread and more scalable, the costs come down. So most people are predicting that these costs over time are going to come down. And in fact, when you look at some of the autonomous features or autonomous-esque features that we've already talked about, you start to see some of these adaptive cruise control, lane keep assist being you know, inserted in um, – and 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 become standard features on a lot of cars and a lot of price points. But I think at least initially, people are predicting that these cars are going to be owned by ride-sharing and mobility services. Zach, turning a little bit to um, some of the legal issues related to the use of autonomous vehicles, can you tell us a little bit about what we expect in terms of how liability for car accidents involving involving autonomous vehicles will be handled uh, in terms of who is ultimately responsible for bearing the cost of that type of crash. So this is one of the things that I think a lot of people are exploring in this space and are really looking at. So when we think of the traditional motor vehicle accident, one of the things that we look at, and, and this isn't just related to motor vehicles, but a lot of traditional tort claims, it's as issues of control. And so if I'm driving my vehicle and I'm the one behind the steering wheel, then I'm in control of the vehicle. So if my vehicle gets in an accident, because I was the one controlling it, I'm the one that's responsible. And that makes sense. A lot of our tort law has been kind of based on this thing, right? If I was a farmer and my, you know, bull got out of the pen and it gored another farmer's animal. I was the one that was responsible for paying the damages to the other farmer because I had control over my bull, right? I should have made sure the pen was safe. I should have taken precautions. The issue of control becomes kind of more, uh, you know, nebulous when you get into this question of autonomous vehicles because you know, as it sits right now, most of the features that are commonly referred to are two, level two, meaning I need to be prepared to take control of the vehicle at any given time. But once we start getting into level two plus or level three, 
And as certainly by the time we get to level four, you know, now we are reaching the point where I'm not necessarily expected to be able to take control of the vehicle. I should be able to watch a movie, read a book, respond to emails. And so once we start getting to, to those levels, the issue of control doesn't seem to be as relevant in the context of who's actually sitting behind the steering wheel. So then the question becomes, well, who is responsible and, and, and who is in control? So a lot of people have suggested that we might start to see what we product liability theories being applied to these vehicles, meaning the product manufacturer um, or the product developer may become liable or partially liable for these accidents if the autonomous features fail and cause an accident. Now, there's all sorts of questions, right, about are these vehicles going to require software updates? What happens if I'm the driver and owner of a vehicle and I fail to update the software, which causes some glitch, which causes an accident? So then maybe I become, you know, partially liable for the failure to update the software. Question becomes, should that software automatically update? You know, where the manufacturer pushes the update and I've got no control over actually updating it. These questions are still kind of being wrestled with, but the product liability theory seems to be one of the ones that becomes most prevalent as we kind of push forward in the future that's being discussed a lot. Now, one of the other kind of unknowns is what the legislative and or regulatory bodies may do and intervene in the space, which may change that product liability theory. So, is your state legislature going to pass some sort of law that says that anybody selling a level three or higher autonomous vehicle is per se negligent if it's involved in an automobile accident? I don't know. So you you but you've got a situation where we might see state legislatures, you know, enter this area or this arena to kind of sort this issue out. As it sits right now, we don't really have a lot of that to go on or look at, but it's certainly a possibility, and I think some people are really kind of expecting that that may happen. Now, the other area that kind of comes to kind of comes to our mind is this issue could be sorted out through insurance. Now, it doesn't insurance doesn't necessarily impact liability, but it certainly impacts who might be paying for the damages if there is an accident. So some people have suggested that what we might see in the future is that an automobile that has autonomous features at higher levels, three or four or five, may be sold with a built-in insurance policy that stays with the vehicle for the length of the vehicle's life. And so let's say I buy a vehicle from Ford. When I buy that vehicle, it may be sold with a policy of insurance that covers me or any drivers of that vehicle for the time that that car you know, is in operation. And that policy may not only cover me, but may also cover Ford from a product liability standpoint. And so some people have suggested that that might be a way to kind of wrap up and, and solve some of these issues or problems. Because ultimately, whether you sue me or Ford, it's the same insurance policy that kind of is in play or answering on behalf of the injured parties. But again, we have to wait to see whether that's going to play out because it's not a common approach 
that's being taken. But with that said, we don't necessarily have level three, four, or five vehicles that are widely dispersed in our marketplaces. And so as, as the prevalence of those vehicles you know, comes about in the next five to 10 years, we may see this kind of approach become more prevalent. Zach, can you please tell us a little bit about the possible ethical dilemmas and issues that are presented by autonomous vehicles? Yeah. So one of the kind of the, the big issues that I think a lot of people talk about and are familiar with, um, or, or that at least gets broached a fair amount, is this ethical dilemma that the vehicle is going to have to have some level of, you know, artificial intelligence to be able to make decisions. And so what we're what we see, right, is this this idea that at some point in time as drivers, we have to make decisions. And so we may be approaching an intersection and we may see a, you know, a person who's crossing the intersection in front of us as a pedestrian, I may be driving my car and as I approach the pedestrian, I realize I don't have time to stop. And so I either hit the pedestrian or I swerve off the road and to try to take an, an evasive maneuver. And so in the process, I may swerve off the road and hit a tree. Now, I can tell you that you know, as, as, as we react in those situations – the reality is, is that, you know, you may react naturally in a split second decision and not have time to kind of fully think through the moral or, you know, or ethical dilemmas of that situation because you just react, right? It's a split second decision. You're not, you're not weighing these things. But with the artificial intelligence, which is implemented and utilized in some of these higher level autonomous vehicles – they may be making those decisions. And so a lot of the things that, you know, have been talked about from an ethical perspective is, you know, what should the car's purpose or goal be, right? Should the car's goal be to protect the passenger at any cost, right? It's my car. Shouldn't the car protect me? Alternatively, if I have the choice, if the car has the choice to hit the tree, the airbags deploy you know, maybe there's some damage to the car, but I'm probably going to be okay because I was only traveling at 30 miles an hour. Isn't that a safer bet than hitting a pedestrian at 30 miles an hour? So one of the things that we've kind of we've kind of looked at is you know this kind of ethical dilemma. Now I've given you given it to you in the context of hitting a pedestrian versus me hitting a tree, but then the question becomes: Do I? hit what if i'm stuck in a situation where i either hit a child or i hit an adult or i hit four children or i hit two adults you know some of these situations are they find themselves in are going to kind of have to be flushed out uh, as we kind of approach higher levels of this technology do i hit a pedestrian or do i hit another car does it matter i mean does it matter how many people are in that car? Does my car, who's making that decision, even have the capabilities to make that determination? So a lot of these kind of ethical issues are going to come to the forefront as we start to see 
these cars be designed and kind of implemented and, and these, you know, the artificial intelligence algorithms start to be inputted to design them, you know, to be safer vehicles. Now, ultimately, we hope that these vehicles become so safe that, you know, they don't, they, they already see the pedestrian, they're braking well in advance, and we never have to make this decision, right? No one is ever injured or hurt in any capacity. But the reality is, is that, you know, these vehicles are still going to operate in an imperfect world. And so to a certain extent, we're going to have to calculate that and make those kind of decisions. So there is going to be kind of an ethical dilemma that we face. That concludes our discussion for today's episode. Um, please be sure to join us on our next episode of the Reminger Report Emerging Technologies podcast, where we'll be diving into some of the nuts and bolts of how autonomous vehicles actually operate and what are the technologies that sort of underpin this um, new way to get around. Mm-hmm.